What's up, people? It's your favorite podcast duo back again with the No Bull podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Alex Newts, as always, joined by my partner in crime, Mr. Joshua Copeland. We are here tonight with a very, very awesome guest. Um, it's one that we've been looking forward to speaking with for a while now. We've actually, I think we went, Joshua talked about her probably from day one. Um, someone who's actually helped us get our own podcast off the ground. Um, but tonight we are joined by Dr. Sarah Lepe, also known as Coach Sarah. Um, so welcome to the podcast, uh, Sarah, and uh, we're glad to have you. Thanks, you guys. I'm excited to be here and ready to get started for tonight. And thank you guys so much for having me on today. Yes, no, thank you for coming on. Uh, Alex, man, I don't know if you if you really know, like, the story behind, like, Sarah and myself. Like, we, uh, um, we kind of reached out to each other on social media, on Instagram, and then we saw that we were kind of doing similar things with helping athletes or trying to help athletes transition to life after sports. And she has a great business called Rebranded Athlete, and we're going to talk about that. Um, but no, Sarah, thank you for, for all you've done for us and without even knowing so, um, because you are very pivotal and, and, and played a big part in us getting this started and everything. And we had conversations all the time. Um, so talk a little bit about growing up, like, and we're going to get into your story and everything uh, down the line, but how was it growing up for you? Um, in Southern California, is that correct? That's right, Southern California, born and raised. Um, I grew up in a town called Oxnard. And for those of you who aren't familiar with California or Southern, that is about 45 minutes north of Los Angeles. And uh, it's a beach town. Um, it has grown tremendously since I was a kid. It was uh, known for agriculture. Um, strawberries are what we're known for in Oxnard. <laughs> so next time you guys have uh, some strawberries, see if they're from our town. But um, growing up, I grew up with my parents and a brother and sister who were older than me um, from a previous marriage. So 12 years and 15 years different. So I was kind of um, had my siblings growing up, but then they got to the point where they moved out and I was kind of an only child there for a little while. And as far as athletics, um, a lot of people kind of ask me, well, where, where did that come from? Because, uh, neither one of my parents played in college or anything like that. Um, but my aunt was the biggest influence for me and she was, a PE teacher um, locally in Oxnard. She actually played basketball in college for Cal State Northridge. And she was the one who brought me into sports. And I remember going and being the ball girl for not only her softball team, but for her volleyball team. And I remember being five years old and just being mesmerized by the volleyball going back and forth. And I was always kind of drawn to it and had interest. And so as I grew up through the, the school system, my dad was an educator along with my aunt and he was an administrator as well too. And when I was in fourth grade, um, it was a brand new school that he had just opened. We had just moved to a brand new neighborhood within Oxnard and he wanted to start up sports at the school. So volleyball is one of the sports that we started in the fall. And the really cool part about that year in particular, the girls and the boys who are also trying to play on the team 
Um, we ended up being the best of friends all the way through middle school and high school. And they're still some of my closest friends to this day as well. So that's really where I began my journey of being a volleyball player at the age of eight. And at that time, college wasn't on my mind. I was just a kid having fun. And it wasn't until I got into middle school where I started to get a little bit taller I started to feel more comfortable within my body and noticed that I had some potential as an athlete. And so my parents signed me up for club volleyball. I played for Ventura West, which was a local organization around here that um, looking back now was so good for kids because as you guys know, club sports is very, very expensive. And that club in particular, the coaches volunteered And the only thing that the kids or the parents had to pay for was the uniforms and then also the fees for the club tournaments. So looking back now, the opportunities that we had, um, especially, you know, for, for some of the kids that I grew up with that weren't as fortunate as I were to have that type of exposure or opportunity is just awesome. I just love that I was part of that growing up. And so I I remember being at a club tournament, there was always this huge festival in California every year um, at the end of the club season. And it was in Davis, California, which is in the Northern part of California. And it's this huge tournament where there are hundreds and hundreds of teams that come from all over the the country um, to compete, You, you know, even clubs from Hawaii, you know, clubs on the East coast or whatnot. And that was the first time that I kind of had, you know, a taste of, wow, like this, this is pretty big. And as I was playing, I don't know if I was inspired by maybe, you know, one of the Olympic athletes that had come out for um, the the pre-show when we were being introduced as, as club teams or whatnot. But I remember being so inspired at that tournament that I really played well. And my seventh grade year going into eighth grade, that's when college recruits were starting to already reach out and talk to my dad at club tournaments and different things like that. And it wasn't until then that I realized, wow, I actually have potential to play in college. And so going from there, as I went into high school, um, I actually didn't make varsity (laughs) my freshman year. And the reason being is because I missed one of the tryout practices. Um, I think I had the dates wrong or maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but I ended up going to um, a vacation trip with one of my, one of my neighborhood friends. And when I came back, I found out that I had lost or missed out on a day of practice. And I went and, you know, they of course allowed me to continue to try out, but I later found out and they actually told me, we would have put you on varsity, but you missed a day of tryouts. <laughs> so, mm. so that was a rude awakening <laughs> <laughs> to, to kind of start off. I guess that kind of taught me right away that, you know, you, if you're going to be in a sport, you got to be committed, <laughs> you know, to right. work. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So how was it, did, did it mentally, like how, how was the pressure? You said you started getting recruited in like seventh or eighth grade. Um, did you feel a lot of pressure to perform after that? Cause like, you know, I'll, every time when we talk to athletes, you have this moment when you know that, okay, either 
I'm better than everybody else or I'm good enough to play here. I'm, I can go to college. So when you started getting looked at, they started talking to your dad at matches and stuff like that. How, did you feel extra pressure to like perform? Mm, I don't know if I would call it pressure, but I, I knew that I wanted to like impress people. Like I kind of felt that, you know, as we went through to the club tournaments and different things, like, I kind of had like a different surge of energy where I wanted to, you know, show people what I was capable of doing. And I think it kind of pushed me more than anything to maybe try new things and get out of my comfort zone, even on the court, because I saw other girls that were doing, you know, slides and different things, all these different crazy hitting movements that I hadn't tried before. And I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to do that too. So I don't think quite yet. Um, at middle school, I was feeling that pressure, um, maybe until high school when I started to feel like all the eyes were kind of on me, especially as we were going to club tournaments and, you know, being like the star on the team, everybody's counting on you, right. To, mm -hmm. to get the points to, you know, take the team where everybody needs to go. And I, maybe that type of pressure is kind of what I felt more than, you know, oh, I need to get into college, you know, that type of thing. I don't know if you, yeah. I don't know if you know this about me, but uh, I I myself was a uh, volleyball uh, star at one point. <laughs> there he goes. You know, talk your stuff, Alex. Talk you know, your stuff, uh, bro. I don't, I don't I don't like to brag or boast, but when I was a freshman in high school, I got called up to varsity at the end of the season. So uh, okay, nice. but then I quit and uh, joined football. So. <laughs> but no I, I i love volleyball honestly like i always say if like i could do life all over again um i would 100 stick with volleyball. i had so much fun playing it um you know it was just it was like just super yeah like super enjoyable um you know i really yeah it was um yeah i mean but you know i was definitely like you know interested in, like how that pressure felt for you at a young age like you were just talking about like that's so early to be getting like even talked to by coaches and stuff like that um that's like that's wild yeah it's you know and it's overwhelming like if you don't have like somebody who's gone before you and has done it before right right and so and and for me like I'm lucky I had a really good club coach who helped me through the process I mean I even back then like I didn't know anything about like the clearing process like the, I don't know if you guys had to go through that or if that's yeah, what it was called then, yeah. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. and, you know, all these things that you had to do and min requirements, as far as like even academics and things like that, like it was a whole learning process going through it. And I think even for my parents as well, because I didn't have, you know, siblings or anybody who had gone through it. Yes. My aunt had uh, played for Cal state Northridge, but it, you know, I don't think it was quite the process as it is today, even. And even from the time right. that, you know, we all went to college, it's completely different now as far as, you know, the, the rules, the expectations. Because I remember there were some times where, like, you couldn't, there, were, there was a period of time that you couldn't even talk to the coaches. Right. Because there was, like, down period or, or whatever it was. Yeah, but that, that kind of pressure, when you look back, I mean it's a lot, you know, for like a 13, 14 year old to be feeling. And then right. also as they're 
trying to discover about themselves too and figure out, you know, what is it that I want to pursue in college, you know, and, and that kind of, you know, and I'll get into it too, like kind of leads me to what, what am I going to school for? And am I picking that school just for the athletic program? Or can I also see myself at that school for the academics too? Cause I think it also goes hand in hand, but usually we're just looking at the athletic department, right? Yeah. Right. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and so, so you, you didn't make varsity your freshman year. So was that, was that tough to deal with? Because like I said, you were getting recruited and, and college talking to you. So I know, and they, I know you said, they said that you would have played or they would have put you on a team, but you missed that practice. But did you use that year? Like, you know, like Michael Jordan got cut from his varsity. Did you use that year to like, like extra motivation to come back sophomore year and just like kill shit? Yeah. You know what? I, <laughs> I I really did. It was, it was motivating for me, especially because the, a few of the girls that I had gone into high school with who had made the varsity team, I'm just like, okay, if they made the team and I didn't, okay, whatever it is, but I just want to like go out there and prove myself. So I ended up being the captain on JV. Like we, in all honesty, I'm really glad that it happened that way because it humbled me right? If I had gone in and just been on varsity, you know, maybe I would have, who knows, I may have, you know, had a chip on my shoulder because I thought, okay, well, you know, this is just, this is me not even having to work hard, but it, it forced me to get uncomfortable and it allowed me to be a leader. And I think going in as a freshman on the varsity team, I probably wouldn't have been captain and I wouldn't have had those, you know, leadership experiences that I did as a JV player. And I think, in the long run, that really prepared me to be an even better player, not only when I was on varsity for high school, but as I also progressed on to college and became a leader and the captain of, of that team as well. No, I, That's crazy. I uh, that. So you started at such a young age, um, like you said. And, you know, it's just like, like you said, it just seems like it was volleyball, 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 volleyball. You know, it obviously started to, you know, become part of you, become a majority of your identity. Um, did you did you ever get burned out? Like, did you ever, like, start thinking, like, man, like, this, this is a lot of volleyball. Like, th- did that, like, ever hit you, um, like, in your high school age, college days, like, at all? Yeah, definitely not high school. I mean, I I ate, slept, breathed volleyball. Like everything I did was revolved around volleyball. If I wasn't playing it, I was watching it. You know, it's like one of those things. I knew all the college players. I watched all the college games. It wasn't until um, in college, I actually, my freshman year, I ended up blowing my ACL out um, as I was competing for a starting position. And so I was luckily able to uh, have a medical red shirt because we hadn't quite started our regular season yet. But what that amounted to later was that I didn't graduate with my recruiting class that I was recruited with. And it also gave me extra year. And by that fifth year, I was burnout. And I think part of it too, was that I didn't have like as close of a connection with the girls on the team, just being older and, you know, playing for a long time. I mean, I had played since the age of eight, like without a break. And I felt at that time, it was just, I had enough, you know, I, I still, I still enjoyed Mm -hmm. the game, 
but I just didn't want to compete anymore. I didn't want to have to rise to that level each and every time. And, and even after I finished, um, when I moved back home, it wasn't for a couple of years before I actually picked up, picked up a ball and wanted to play again. And I had to kind of like find that love once again. And I learned very quickly, especially through my alumni games that I can't play indoor anymore. <laughs> all my joints <laughs> everything. Um, as you get older, especially, you know, all the jumping and pounding that you do um, in the gym. But what I did fall in love with was playing on the beach and living in California. You know, I live in a beach town. Being on the beach was, you know, a, a, something else for me. And I, I laugh now because, you know, I tell people if, if beach volleyball were a thing when I was in high school and college, I'm pretty sure I'd be playing pro right now. <laughs> yeah, I, literally beach volleyball is my favorite Olympic sport. I'm not even joking. I am obsessed with watching it. It's so much I'm, fun. So much fun. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Let's let's backtrack just a little bit because there's a lot to unpack in like your college and afterwards. But what was recruiting like for you? I love hearing recruiting stories because, you know, helping young athletes, you know, let them know what it's like. So what's recruiting like in volleyball? Because you have your regular high school season, but then is I would imagine club is kind of like a U basketball, right? Where like it's like you get way more exposure than you do in high, like your regular high school games. Am I right with that? Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, the clubs. So club season for volleyball would go from January to June in the off season part. So I mean that that time of the year, especially at club tournaments, you know, you would see walking in, you'd see all these coaches and they'd be wearing their polo shirts with their, you know, the logo from their school on, or they'd have the backpacks on and different things. And you'd walk in and you're like, damn, like, look at all these people who are here to like see us and recruit, you know, and go and go after us. So for me, um, you know, like I said, it kind of started in middle school um, with people talking to my dad, even as a seventh grader there. And I don't remember what school it was, but um, one of the coaches had gone up to him after the game to talk to him about me. And they couldn't believe at the time that I was only a seventh grader. So they kind of watched me for a couple of years from there. But as far as the whole process, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I just remember going to the mailbox and there's like letter after letter and po- postcards. And, you know, I, mm. I felt like I had pen pals, you know, there's like <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of dating myself here. You know, that was, you know, 1999, uh, 2000, um, you know, those were the years back then where email was, you know, just coming about, it was just starting to be a thing, but it was the letters that they were sending in the mail. And so I, I wish to this day I had kept all those letters because I really would love to know like exactly all the universities because at the time it's so overwhelming. You don't even know where these places are and they're sending you all this kind of stuff. Right. And so I was, I was recruited to some, some top name schools. Of course, I was looking for the top name ones as they were coming through the mail. Um, UC Davis, um, UC Irvine was another one. There were a lot of California schools. There were some um, out-of-state ones. I remember Texas, Texas Christian University. Um, There were some on the East Coast, even into New York, that were looking at me as well. 
Um, University of Hawaii was looking at me along with Pacific University here in California. There were a lot of big time schools. And so as I started to kind of figure out, okay, what is it that I want? I knew I didn't want to move away far. I wanted to at least be a little ways away from home where I felt like I could be on my own, but then close enough where I could come back if I wanted to be. So I knew mm-hmm. that California was something that I wanted to do. Although Hawaii, it was a place that I had always, you know, dreamt of going. <laughs> so I, I kept them on <laughs> table. <laughs> but um, as I started to narrow it down, um, there was a letter that came in the mail from Cal State Fullerton. And I, I remember looking at my dad and I'm like, where the hell is Fullerton? Like I've never even heard of this place before. And so, um, and if you guys aren't familiar where that is, it's actually 15 minutes away from Disneyland. So it's near Anaheim in California out here. And at the time Fullerton was not a big school. Um, It was a big school as far as how many students went to that school because it was a commuter school. But as far as like Athletics, aside from the baseball program and the softball program who had won national championships and they hadn't had a football team since like 1975. So there wasn't like a whole lot of like athletic events that brought people together. Um, but they were a division one school. And I was just like, okay, so that's also what I was looking at too. You know, there were D3 schools, D2, and then D1 schools that were reaching out. And so Fullerton was starting to heavily recruit me. I remember seeing them quite a bit at the club tournaments that I go to. And again, I noticed them because of their, you know, their, their swag that they were wearing with their logos and stuff. And club coach started to talk to me um, because, you know, he knew that there were a lot of, a lot of different colleges looking at me and we had, we sat down and we talked and, you know, it really came down to, you know, what I wanted. And so Fullerton, only about an hour and a half from where Oxnard is, where my home was. And so I was like, you know what, let let me just see what this is all about. (laughs) So after all these other schools had looked at me and, and what I also forgot to mention to you guys, too, is that the number one school that I wanted to go to was UC Santa Barbara. And that's about a half an hour from my house and not just because it's it, because of the distance but because of the volleyball program that they had they had a very well-known program um, the coach you know had been there for many years and I just always loved you know seeing those girls play and wanted to be part of it and I I tried for a long time to get the coach's attention I even went to um, one of the summer camps And that was the first time that she paid attention to me, (laughs) probably because I was hitting the ball in front of the five foot line. You know, again, it was that motivation of, you know, people watching you and you wanting to prove something to yourself. And so I went and I was just crushing it. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'd love to have you this and that. And I believe this was my sophomore year going into junior. And, um, Talked a couple times on the phone. She, you know, had some promises that she said she was going to do. And at, at the end of the day, to make a long story short, things fell through and I didn't actually get recruited by her. So I went to Fullerton, um, actually went on a recruiting trip. And I, at the moment I was there with the girls on the team, there was just something about that group of girls. And it was just like, we clicked, we connected. And 
I could see myself being part of that program. And mind you, I could have gone to all these other big time schools, you know, that I was probably going to be guaranteed to get a championship ring at some point within my collegiate career. But Fullerton was at the bottom of the conference in the Big West Conference. And at that time, you're talking Misty May had just graduated from Long Beach State. You had Taiba Hanif, who was also ended up being an Olympic athlete. They had lots of lots of talent within that conference. So it was a very competitive conference. And you see Santa Barbara was also in that conference as well. And so at that time, I knew that if I went into that program, it was definitely going to be building years, but it was something familiar to me because as I went to Oxnard High School and I was part of that program, it was also building years for us in that program too. They were bottom of the conference and actually by my, by my sophomore year, the first year I was on varsity, we won the, the league championship and Oxnard started doing that from that year for, I think it was like 13 or 14 years straight <laughs> that we had come in and helped that program turn around. So I think that's where I got a, a taste of it at first. And that's why I wanted to go to Fullerton to be part of building up that program. And, um, and so I went on that recruiting trip and it wasn't even like maybe four hours into my recruiting trip. I turned to the coaches and I told them I'm ready. And, and I remember the, the, the assistant coach at the time, she turned, she turned and looked at me and she like, excuse me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm ready to, ready to commit. And then she turned to the head coach and they were just so excited, you know, that I had decided. And, and it wasn't just the girls. Like I felt when I, when I got on that campus and I was part of, you know, that team during that recruiting trip time, I really felt within my gut, like that was exactly where I was supposed to be. And so I had a, I had a recruiting trip set up even for Hawaii a couple of weeks later. And I called them and I told them, no, thank you. <laughs> That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, you're like that is like, you know, and obviously, you know, you are someone who's in a very like, you know, fortunate situation there. Um, you know, not all athletes have that opportunity. I mean, like for even me personally, like, you know, I didn't have, any schools recruiting me honestly um you know UB was literally like the only school that brought me on a visit uh the only school that offered me a scholarship and I was just like like the second they offered me I was like yep I'll take it I'm in like let's go um you know so for me it wasn't like sifting through options or um you know weighing out which one was going to be the best for me it was just oh (laughs) there's an opportunity boom all right don't want to waste it so um, it, it, it is kind of crazy to hear from, you know, like from that side of it where like, you know, you had so many options to choose from, which once again, like you said, has to be stressful at that age because you're deciding your future at what, 17, 18 years old. Right, right. Very, very early on, you know, and, and my friend, so I was the only one out of the program from my high school that was being recruited nobody else was going through this. And in fact, even, even my club team, I was the only one going through that process. So I did feel like the weight of the world was on my shoulders, you know, when I was trying to figure out what was going to be the right thing for me. But at the end of the day, I'm glad I went with my gut, you know, cause I, I think a lot of times like that intuition, when that kicks in, you know, it's, it's putting you on the right path. And 
I think anywhere I, I would have been, you know, I would have contributed and been successful, but I think having that underdog mentality, especially at Fullerton really allowed me to kind of evolve, you know, as a player and, and figure things out because being in high school and being the top all the time, like having that different perspective where you have to put the grit and you got to put in the, in the work to see the results. Like I enjoyed that. And, um, and it wasn't easy. <laughs> it was not easy at Fullerton. My, my second year. So that was really my first year playing after I had redshirted. We lost every single game. Like, mm. I think it, we won three preseason games and we went from the end of August to the end of October without winning a single game. And that actually ended up being my favorite season. And why? It was why? <laughs> like, like, no, I, not not saying it yeah. like, like why, yeah, but like right. that that that's crazy. And I don't mean to cut you off, but that no, that no, just, no, you, yeah, you, you you hear that all the time. Where like sometimes when when from the outside looking in, it's like you know that you have every reason to be mad and hate the season, mm -hmm. but sometimes those turn out to be like blessing in disguise. And like, you learn the most out of those, those situations. So why was that season like one of your favorite seasons? Yeah. Um, you know, it was the group of girls for sure. And it was the fact that we came back every single day, no matter what happened at the game with the fresh perspective of we're here to get better each and every day. And at the time we were working with, um, he was a well-known sports psychologist, Ken Revisa. He passed away a couple of years ago, um, but he was working with our team and we came back and we were grinding every single day. And, and again, like I had mentioned being in that big West conference, you know, it was very, very competitive at the time. And we were a young team. We only had two seniors that year. The rest of us were freshmen and sophomores, maybe a couple sprinkles of juniors, but we just didn't have the experience, but we had the heart. And so going back every single day and mo most people would think, you know, well, <laughs> why, why would you want to even go back every single day? And it was because we knew that every time we stepped on that court, we were getting better as people. And I had spoken to one of my teammates, um, actually had her on my podcast uh, a little while back. And we both agreed that that was a year that we not only grew as athletes, but we grew as people. And I, I go back to that season now and, you know, really think about how I grew as a person. And it, it taught me to be resilient. Like the, you talk about the life lessons from sports. That's a perfect example. That's like textbook example <laughs> of, of what you can learn from athletics if you see the value and you see the lessons in it. And, you know, I, I think that year paid off in the end um, because by the time I was a senior, we finished about, I think we were fourth or fifth in the conference out of 10. But two years after I graduated, um, Fullerton won their very first Big West championship for the first time in school history. So I feel oh. like the work that we put in helped to get the program to where it needed to be um, within a few years after we left, which is pretty cool when you look back on it now. 
But you had a little resentment that you weren't out of the championship. I was about to say that. It, see, it seems like every time you leave a program, whether it's high or for me, every time I left like a program, whether it's high school, college, like after a couple of years, they either got new jerseys, they got new stuff that I wanted. You know what I'm saying? Like they did stuff that that right. we were fighting for. So that's hilarious. And I think yeah. that's funny because it's just so true. Like the moment, but you set the foundation though. You guys set the foundation of starting a new tradition. So that's something to be proud of and that you guys can like hang your hat on, you know, for the rest of your lives. Right. Yeah. De definitely wasn't the the record that I wanted to be in the record books for. <laughs> the, you know, the team that, you know, uh, <laughs> won the least amount of games in, in the history. But, you know, it's it's in there as a reminder of, you know, where that program grew from. And I, I really think that year and and there was a lot of change that year, too. Um, the head coach who had been there for the last I think it was like. Five, five to seven years. Um, she was let go. So our assistant coach had to step up as interim. And, and again, like timing wise too, that was like right after 9-11 had happened, you know, the, the following year. So there was a lot of stuff going on. You know, I, I really think we, we learned a lot that not just volleyball, but just, you know, what was going on in the world at the time. Right. Right. Uh, you said something a little earlier that, that I really, and you talked about like your, your fifth year, right? Like your red shirt senior year. Um, and you was talking about how you like got burnt out. And, and I want like, because for in football is such a big team, right? And you talked about how like the people you came in with you, they graduated a year before you. And you, it's not that you felt disconnected from the group, but it's you, you build a special bond with the people that you, you, you come into college with. Um, and just can you talk a little bit about more about that and how important because I want I want younger athletes to understand that these all, all this stuff plays a part into it's just more than just getting out there and, and playing volleyball right there's there's a lot of other things that happen on top of what you're doing and how you interact with your team so, so, so can you elaborate a little bit more on like why that year was burnt out for you yeah, and I think what it is, too, is like, you know, you come in making those connections, right? And I said, I, you know, I like home and I felt, you know, right, right in there with the girls. And when you're being recruited, you know, the girls are playing. But by the time you're a senior, you're either with the, the class that you came in with or everybody's already gone. Right, so right. so the girls that were younger than me, you know, there were a couple that I had some good connections with. Um, but I also think I was kind of a little bit more mature than they were in the sense that, you know, they were still heavily into partying and, you know, wanting to go out and do all that kind of stuff where I was like more focused on, okay, you know, let's have fun, but it's, you know, during the season time, like we gotta, we gotta stay focused, you know, and, and beyond to right. our goal, what we need to do. So I think that was partially some of the disconnect there, um, just having different values and different ideas of you know what it should be like during the season and who knows maybe they were tired of me being you know mama mo <laughs> that's, that's what they called me because um my last name used to be morrison that's my maiden name so they call me mama mo and they were they're tired of mama telling them <laughs> get it together <laughs> now now were you the only like red shirt senior on the team 
Because I'm volleyball, how many players on the team? Uh, so on the roster, you usually have about 14, uh, 14 okay. to 16 girls on, on the, on the squad altogether. And then there's six that play on the court at the time. Um, but yeah, I was the only, uh, red shirt senior and there was, um, another girl who was older than me or two years older than me. And she had blown out her knee too. And I, I kind of saw her you know by the time she was Mm. there for her fifth year as well like even though you know we all got along and everything it's just like I think part of it is also knowing like your career is coming to an end right and you know that the people that you you were recruited with like they're already in grad school they're off doing their own thing one of them was playing overseas in Europe like all these different things and it's like I'm still here in a jersey (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I think that could have been part of it too. No, I mean, it makes sense because I mean, I would just like because I played so close to home and I was at UB and I would just compare myself to people of my age that I went to high school with. Like, oh, like this person's already got a job here. This person's already doing this. And I'm still like sitting here playing football and stuff like that. So, um, no, it's definitely, you know, definitely something that crosses your mind. I think as humans, we just like are constantly like, comparing ourselves to like our peers way more than we should be especially like especially at that age you know more than yeah. anything um it's like everything's it's turned into like one big competition you know yeah and I really felt when I moved home you know that's that's when it hit me especially with the transition and everything like just realizing you know I spent that extra year in the jersey but you know I I would see people even on social media enough you know they were already like you know starting their careers or were already completing grad school or you know on to the next phase and I and I felt like I kind of had missed out because I spent that extra year and it was a hard mm. it was a hard year and it was it was a hard year not only because I felt like I was older and I had that responsibility of you know taking the team where it needed to go but also because I felt like, I don't know, like I wasn't connected with even the game anymore. You know, I was trying to like that part of me was kind of leaving too. And so when you don't have that fire and that drive every day, when you're doing something, it becomes more like a chore than, you know, something that you enjoy. And that was the hard part for me, you know, dealing with a couple of injuries that I had my senior year as well. So it was a combination of things, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it was all in all a great experience. You know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think that, you know, I grew tremendously as a person. I just wish that not only having somebody to help guide me through the process of getting into college, but in the end, having somebody help me transition out because as, as we know, you know, they give you your Jersey and your frame tell you, thank you very much. And we'll see you at the alumni game. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no more right. besides that, you know, make sure you donate to our program every year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We talk about that all the time. How like it, it just, it just ends. And then like, they they don't they don't prep you on okay well you should do this next they don't they don't the whole time you're told what to do and where to be 
and, and, you know, and they're looking out for you. And then all of a sudden it just stops. So how was that transition for you? And then, you know, we're going to get into what you're doing now, but how was that transition for you? Cause we all, we, we both had our struggles with that. Um, but yeah, how was it for you transitioning from having, uh, that senior year to now, okay, you're done, you're back home. Like, what were you doing? What was your mindset like? What was your mind frame in? Well, I think for me, it may have been even a little bit harder just because I was there that fifth year and the volleyball season's in the fall. So then I had the springtime, you know, to finish up and, you know, get on with it. But at the same time, I wasn't practicing with the team anymore in the springtime so I was having that disconnect at school and then again you know the girls that I was graduating with weren't you know my the same girls that I had come into the program with Mm -hmm. and so I I resorted in all honesty to to alcohol and partying and getting my mind I think as far away of I'm not an athlete anymore and just trying to suppress what was there. Um, I look back at, it's funny you asked this too, because a couple of days ago, I was going through some pictures from an old hard drive and I found a picture of the springtime um, of my senior year. And I had gone out for like St. Patrick's day, you know, to hang out with friends and be out. And I mean, you could just see it. I mean, I was, I was overweight. <laughs> I gained a bunch of weight, you guys, after, after I finished playing out. First of all, I thought I could still eat like an athlete <laughs> if I wasn't working out like one. <laughs> so I had that going on. <laughs> I'm sure you guys can relate. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then also, you know, going out and partying, um, you know, more than a couple days a week. And so I think that caught up to me. I mean, I look at this picture and I'm just like, who is that person? Like, that's not me. You know, I was definitely, I think, masking the feelings that I had. I I knew I was going to move back home, although I would have loved to stay um, in Orange County where I was at. It was just too expensive. And um, my next step was going to be going into the teaching credential program. So there was no way I could have like a minimum paying job and live out there and go to school. So I decided to move home. And as I moved home, um, you know, finished everything up, had this great party that my parents and, you know, friends and everybody threw for me. And a couple weeks later, I'm going to the mailbox thinking that my official transcripts in the mail. And I actually get this, this letter that's in like this bright yellow color and I open it and it reads, you know, we're sorry to inform you, but you did not graduate. Your degree has not been conferred. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What do you mean? I didn't graduate. Like I have my academic counselor. I had my athletic counselor. Like the last time I checked, everything was good to go. Well, what had happened was the Cal state system that very last trimester had switched over to a plus minus grading system. And so of course, you know, like I said, I was into partying and doing different stuff. I was just doing enough really to get by. I was taking some fun classes and I had, I think maybe two classes that were within my major. And I ended up getting a C minus in one of those major courses and a C minus in a major coursework actually calculates to a D. And so that's not a passing grade. <laughs> and, so, mm. and I was just like, 
I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, um, I came back home. I remember walking from the mailbox back to my house and my mom like saw this look on my face and she's like, what, what's the matter? And I, I showed her and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like I didn't graduate. And she's like, what do you mean you didn't graduate? Like you just walked the line. I'm like, I know, like read this. And so my dad came home from work and we were looking at it and just in disbelief. So of course, you know, I'm calling the university right away to, to figure out what had happened. And I ended up making an appointment with the, with the Dean from my college. Um, so we could go over it. And so, um, I talked to her on the phone and, you know, she was trying to say, well, you know, this is the new policy. You knew what it is, you know, you're going to have to make up the course. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like I moved home already. And she's like, well, you know, you could take something at a, a university nearby. So anyways, we ended up going down there to talk to her face to face. And at the, at the end of it, we came away with the understanding that I was going to have to make up that class. And what that meant to me was that I couldn't start the teaching credential program because you have to have a bachelor's degree to do it. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I only had a high school diploma. I didn't have a degree. I couldn't do anything with it. And I just, I kind of lost it. I really did. Um, One of the things that I had always wanted to do just for fun was bartending. So I remember I was driving around town and I saw this sign um, as I'm driving, you know, like one of the, kind of like the yard signs that they have for the graduations and stuff. Now there was a sign and it says, you want to earn between 250 to $500 a shift. And then it was like, you know, call this number for bartending school. And I was like, Hmm. <laughs> so I took a picture of it and I went home and I kind of thought about it for a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this person a call. So I gave him a call and um, I ended up going down there to, to the bartending school and um, kind of funny that for my graduation gift, all the money that I had got had amounted to like around $500. And so that was actually the cost for bartending school. So I kind of thought about it for a second and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go all in, go use my graduation money. So at least I could get a job and do something meanwhile, while I figure out what's next with my life. So within a week, I memorized over 200 recipes. Um, It probably was helpful that I did all that drinking (laughs) in your year um, because I was able to to memorize all these drinks um, and pass with flying colors. And within a week, I had a job interview um, at a local hotel bar and I went and I talked to the manager. I didn't have a resume. I didn't have anything. You know, I just, just went to talk to him and kind of talk about myself. And he must've seen something in me because he hired me on the spot. And uh, within a day or two, I began that job. And the bartending job that I had there, I actually ended up keeping for over 10 years. And it was not because, not just because I had fun with it, um, but because once I finally took that class I needed to make up, got into the credential program, finished my master's degree in 2008, the recession hit. And so I think at that time, I'm looking back like, man, if I didn't spend that extra year at Fullerton, I could have probably made it into education before the recession hit. Because at that time, 
they were laying off teachers like left and right. Like it was the worst time to get into education. And so at that time I, you know, I just, okay, well I'll keep the bartending job for right now and see what I can get, you know? And when I finished my credential, I, I applied, I applied and I applied and I applied and there were just no jobs. They had some subbing jobs. So I, I would sub during the day and then I would literally have my clothes in the car so I could change out when I got to the hotel and then I would bartend until 11, 12 o'clock at night and then get up and do it all again. And I kept doing that for a couple of years and I was a part-time teacher because again, that's all they had. And in 2011, that's when I actually landed my very first full-time teaching job. And although you would think I would probably quit that bartending job at the time, I decided to keep it because I didn't know if they were going to start laying off teachers again. And especially when you first get into education, if you are on the bottom of the totem pole for seniority, then you're most likely to get a pink slip and not have a job for the next year. So I kept that job all the way up until becoming an assistant principal. Um, I fought my way through being a teacher for about five years and I realized my potential and my leadership and I just, I wanted to serve and, and help on a higher level than just my classroom. So I ended up doing that for three years and um, people told me, you know, you should really consider being a principal. And I kind of denied it for a while because <laughs> my dad and my aunt were both principals and I saw how hard they work, but I, I just felt like I could make an even bigger impact. So I decided to become a principal. And the cool part about that story is that I actually landed the, my principal position at the school that my dad started um, back in 2003, he was the founding principal of that school. And then six years later, my aunt became the principal of that school. Well, and then seven years later, here I come. Look <laughs> who it is. So that's... <laughs> What's that? I said, look who it is. Seven years later. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, pretty cool. So, um, you know, that in itself, I think made it worth worth the journey and the ride. And um, education's changed, you know, in, in the last even five years, it's gotten really different than what it used to be. And especially now with the pandemic, you know, this is definitely an, a, a different time for education. And as educators, you know, have to think outside the box and do things differently. Because I think our school system has been set up for old traditional ways and old ways of thinking and the the pandemic was a perfect wake-up call especially for getting everybody up to speed on technology and everything that we should have been doing years before but um that that kind of led me to where I am now you know and um the pandemic really gave me an opportunity to kind of reevaluate where I am I had just finished my doctorate program in uh, December of 2019 and I was looking at the time I, I studied transformation leadership and I was looking at the impact that student athletes, you know, have in education and also as leadership. And I was like, you know what, what else can I do with this? Because I always thought my, my limiting belief was that I thought if I got my doctorate degree, you know, the only thing I can do is go into higher education. And I had a coach that I worked with that showed me that that's not the only thing that you could do. And 
as I brainstormed and I tried to figure out what was next, I kept having this, you know, calling of going back to that inner athlete in me and looking at my journey if, as far as where I've been and how I got to where I was in a leadership position. And what was missing this whole time was my transition out of college athletics. And I didn't have a coach. You know, at the time that I needed a coach the most, I didn't have one. And so that's why I did some soul searching and, and figured out that's exactly what I want to do. I want to create something that is going to make an impact because athletes bring so much to the table. We have so much experience that we gain on the court that sometimes that gets lost afterwards if we're not put in the right situation or given the right guidance to follow our next path and a vision of where we want to go with our lives and have that same same feeling that we had when we were on the quarter field again in our career or whatever our next endeavor is. And so I created Rebranded Athlete, which is um, my company that helps athletes figure out what's next in life after sports and give them the confidence as they move forward so that they can make an impact and change this world and make it for the better. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that um, because obviously me, former athlete, like complete identity crisis. Um, like I didn't even like football. Like I truthfully, like I hated football. Um, but regardless, like I was Alex Newt's the football player. Like that's what everybody knew me as. That's all I knew me as. Like I didn't even know who Alex was anymore. Yeah. Um, and I went through an absolute identity crisis. And then, I mean, toppled with, you know, I got addicted to painkillers from football and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, like the way you phrased it, like how you needed it, like this was like the first time in your life you needed a coach more than ever. Like that like hits home so much for me because I literally like the same exact way. Like I needed somebody to just coach me, motivate me, like help me figure it out. And there was just nobody there for that. Right. And that's, and that's where I think the athletic programs for colleges, it's like a discipline service, right? If we don't provide some kind of support for our athletes, like as much as we want them recruited to our programs, like they should really be doing the same as providing for them as they exit their programs. And I know a lot of universities are starting to look at that, you know, the um, athletic development aspect of it, but I don't think it's talked about as much, you know, as, as far as what's next and, and really planning that vision for these athletes, because when you're, when you're grinding day to day in the gym and doing your routines and different stuff, not thinking big picture. And a lot of them think they're going to go pro. And as we all know, you know, that the statistic only 2% do. And even from there, it's very minute. The, the ones that actually make a, a living in a career out of it. So it's better for them to, you know, bet on themselves doing something else in life after sports. And the concept of the rebranded athlete, it's not, it's not the same as, you know, like a retired athlete or a former athlete. The, the concept of rebranded athlete means that you're taking your skill set, you're taking those skills, those life skills you learned on the court or field, and you're taking it and you're going to repurpose it into something else in life after sports. And my time being a manager and, you know, being a leader in education, like 
the times that I have worked with people who have been former athletes, they're, they're the ones that get it. You know, they come to the table with coachability. They're able to problem solve. They're bringing all of these skill sets that people who weren't exposed to with athletics had. And so if we can get athletes to understand the gifts and the talents that they have beyond their sport, they're going to shine and they're going to make an impact doing the good work of whatever it is that they're going to do. If they're going to go into a company or organization or start their own business, whatever it's going to be, they're going to make an impact knowing that what they have brings value to the world. Because a lot of people think it stops with their sport and it really doesn't. It, it carries over into life after sports. Oh, that's that's so big. And I love that when when we first met and, and it said rebranded athlete, I was like, that's so true. But it takes and I, and I truly think it takes an athlete or former athlete to get through to current athletes because there's a certain like you under you just get it right it's almost like a fraternity sorority like you understand the grind you under you understand the language you understand the lingo you understand how to make correlations to the work life so when when I met you I was like this is so much needed in everything we got going on and, and with athletes today. So talk a little bit. I know you have two books coming out. You got a big couple weeks coming up. So talk about what you got going on right now. Yeah, so a lot of things going on. Rebranded athletes starting to take off right now. So I got two books coming out. One is a solo book. It's called Pivoting from the Game. And basically it's my story intertwined it into it with a game plan for athletes to get them started with this transition as they finish competing, whether they're a college athlete or they were a professional, you know, athlete, it gives them the tools and resources that I wish I had <laughs> at that time. It's like, like a coach in a book for you. Um, the second book that I have is a co-authoring project. It's called Athlete to Entrepreneur. I'm very proud to be part of this project. It was um, about 20 other athletes uh, who also wrote a chapter in there. And it's really, it's our stories about how we went from being an athlete to an entrepreneur and, you know, taking those life skills and those lessons that we learned as an athlete and what we've learned and how we're, how we've been able to apply them into life after sports. So those are both uh, releasing later this month. I also have a rebranded Athlete Academy that will be launching very soon as well, which is my six-week coaching program where I work either in a small group or one-to-one -one with athletes, really helping them digest you know, the transition and, and being okay with it and finding that confidence that they need as they go forward into life after sports and not only walking away with that, but having a vision of the path that they're creating for themselves so that they don't get stuck, you know, like I did, and they don't wonder, you know, what would things be like if, you know, this or this had happened, you know, it really gives them the opportunity to move forward with the skill set they, that they have and be ready to tackle whatever comes next their way. Yeah. So lot, lots of good things coming. Um, you can purchase the books. If you go to rebrandedathlete.com, there's a link for the books on there. Um, I also have a podcast as well too. And um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook with the at rebrandedathlete hashtag. 
Yeah, that's that's super exciting and super awesome. Um, and we'll 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 post um, your links uh, for you as well um, when we post this because uh, we definitely want to get the information out to everybody. Um, that's awesome for real. Um, I, what what is like what what is like the most common question like an athlete comes to you with or something? I mean, maybe the question isn't the right word but phrase i don't know concern questions you know but you know what i'm trying to say well there's a couple of things i i think really what they have a hard time with in the transition is figuring out like number one who am i outside of my sport right that's really difficult to figure out like what are your other passions you know what are your values what are your things that you bring forth and then the second thing that comes about too is creating a new team because <laughs> that's that is so hard and I, I don't know if you guys you know struggle with that too but having all this freedom of time and being so structured as an athlete because everything that we did from the moment that we woke up we knew exactly what time we were hitting the weights time we we're going to be practice when we're getting our you know pre-game meals like all this kind of stuff everything's so planned out for you that when you walk away and you have all this freedom, you kind of, you become not numb, but paralyzed, you know, as to what next. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I help my clients with too, is to try to build in those habits and routines and, and know that it's okay that you don't, you know, deadlift, you know, all this weight that you used to do, or, you know, go to the gym for hours upon hours. I remember when I first moved back home, went to the gym for like three hours. My mom's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I, this is all I know. <laughs> like, I'm just going to go right. to the gym and work out. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. for sure. So One thing I, I think too, that I, I've seen with like athletes and like even myself, but I also think athletes have a harder time trusting people outside of like athletics and like, like, it's like, I mean, you're taught from like, you know, like team, 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 like, you know what I'm saying? Like your team, your team, but it takes a while to build that trust. And then you're taught like everybody's your opponent. Everybody's your opponent, you know, like everybody's the enemy, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think a lot of athletes do have a hard time, like trusting people out once like they are into the real world. Yeah, I, I would agree too. And I think, you know, the concept that I talk to a lot with my clients too, is like building your new team or meeting your new, new teammates. Right. And so for us, as we, as we transition away, like that doesn't necessarily mean you got to go, you know, play for old, old ladies volleyball league. Right. Like that's not the time of teammates we're looking for. We're looking for, you know, mentors, we're looking for coaches, um, like-minded people. And I think that's, what's so important about creating an athlete community. And that's what I foresee here with rebranded athletes too. Like I definitely want to create something where former athletes come together. You know, we all have these commonalities and we all have similar stories, you know, as we transition away and what we discovered about ourselves along the way and within our identities. And the more that you can find like-minded people to relate to, I think the better. Um, especially during a transition, you need support. Yeah. And, and the other concept too, is allowing them to understand that this is one season in your life, right? Like you had your season of being an athlete. Now this is another season because you're transitioning out, but there's going to be other times where you're going to have to pivot again. 
And that's like the concept of my book, pivoting from the game, because these are skill sets that I'm teaching them that are not only going to apply right now as they're transitioning from their sport, but it's going to be another time in their life where they're going to have pivot. And maybe that's, they had to move someplace different. They had to take a different career path, you know, maybe something um, traumatic happened, like whatever it is, it's giving them that skill set to know that I can do this because I have the guidance and I have a plan of how it's going to come together. No, I, I love that. I think, I think what you're doing is, is amazing. Uh, Sarah, as you know, we, we talk periodically and, and I love what you're doing. I'm here to support whatever you have going on. Please check her out, check out her podcast. It's dope. Get her book, um, follow with her on Instagram and everything she got going on. Um, uh, cause I think, I think it's such, it's what you're doing is so needed um, that you cannot talk about it enough, right? And so I, I truly thank you for being, you know, the person you are. Thank you for being a guest on our show. But before we before we go, um, we always ask um, a fun question. What is your favorite food? Ooh, <laughs> burritos are my favorite Mexican food for sure. Burritos. <laughs> okay, and, and you and you are you plant based. Sorry, news. Yeah, are, I know. I, I know no, I, no based, I was so. just gonna say, like, are you like authentic burritos? Or are we talking like Chipotle and stuff? No, not <laughs> not Chipotle. And yes, I I am a plant based, so I I am vegan, so I go <laughs> for a little bit different kind of burritos these days. But they've always been my favorite, and um, home cooking is always the best. <laughs> right. So love. burritos is great. Yeah, no, yeah, you know, thank you guys so much for the opportunity and, you know, your kind words for all you guys with this. Um, I think it's important, you know, and, and what you guys are bringing to the table here too, you know, shedding light on the stories of athletes, you know, we all have something in common. And I think the, the great part about our world right now and like how we can, can connect with one another and not being afraid to you know, reach out like Josh, I'm so glad I reached out to you, you know, on, yes. uh, on social media. And I, I think it was actually clubhouse where I first saw your profile. Um, yep. It was like the hot commodity back in uh, December, January of this year. <laughs> and you just yeah. never know where, where a connection will go, you know? And, and right. I think as, you know, a piece of advice for athletes as they transition away, you know, your, your next team and your teammates, they're out there. But if you don't reach out and you don't make the connections and you don't get out of your comfort zone, you may miss out on an opportunity to connect with people who are going to help run alongside you in this next phase of your life. So don't be afraid to reach out and connect. <laughs> no, for sure. I love that. Yeah, for real. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk to us. Um, really what you're doing is amazing. It's super important. Um, can't stress it enough because like I said, like I went through it myself, Josh went through it himself. Um, there's absolutely a need for it in the world. Um, but, uh, thank you guys all for listening in once again, uh, as always, we appreciate it. Um, you can find our page on Instagram at no underscore bull underscore podcast um as always peace and love josh anything you want to finish up with 
Nah, thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Sarah, for, for joining us, y'all. She she dropped a lot of gems in there. So if you have to re-listen to it again to catch everything, please do. Uh, and we'll see y'all next week. Thank you.